Good evening, good day, good morning. Whenever you are listening, this is The Potato Files. I'm here with my guest this week, road comedian extraordinaire, one of the hardest guys I've ever seen work in this business, uh, Ron Jossel. Welcome to The Potato Files, Ron. Thanks, man. Welcome to the Never Sleeps Network studio. I like it. I like yeah, it. We, uh, we, we broadcast on Facebook Live, but the people listening at home don't care because they're listening to this off iTunes oh, that's weeks good. from now. Yeah, yeah, which is better. Yeah. To- <laughs> Like nobody likes to wait these days. Everybody wants to have their own time. I know. Nobody wants. People don't want to look at me. Um, this is. Uh, we're. Uh, yeah. We've. I don't know. I don't even know if we've cracked double digits yet on this uh, podcast. It's uh, basically me just uh, bringing people in here to the Never Sleeps Network bedroom. I and, like it. Uh, <laughs> so this is his space. This is yeah. This is uh, this is. I don't know. Studio then bed over there. I guess. Good space. <laughs> and uh, basically, I will, um, I'm just going to try to uh, dissect you as much as possible yeah, man, and ask right. you as many questions as I can, and uh, hopefully you answer some of them, and hopefully I don't cross any lines. All right, I'll answer everything. There's no crosses. <laughs> There's no lines that I don't... Good, good. Well, let's we'll start at the beginning. You're, uh, are you Canadian born? Yeah, born in Canada. Immigrant parents, though, right? Yeah, they came in 60... My dad came in 64. My mom came in 68. Did they know each other from back then? No. Oh. They they met separately in the Holiday Inn where the Laugh Resort used to be. So they met at the comedy club. That you started at? That I performed at. Like, actually, yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, I started in Toronto, but I was playing all the clubs because I wasn't part of a club. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I did Yuck Yucks, I did Comedy Wood, and I did that Laugh Resort. Really? So they met at Laugh Resort. Was it a comedy club back then? Yeah, it was. Ah, and what year was this? Are you, uh... They met around 70, 1970. Okay. What so, year were you born in? 74. Yeah, because you don't age, do you? I do. I just I just hide it well. You're turning 43 this year? I turned 43 this year. I just turned 37. Uh, you look eight years younger than you me. You look amazing. <laughs> It's all deceiving. I, I, I'm, I'm all fucking, you know, smoking mirrors. Uh, my forehead's... When I started, it was my, con- my, my forehead was at least this much lower, like two or three inches. <laughs> that's, too much, uh, that's too much hair, though. You need more forehead. I know. That's like uh, Rob Pugh. Rob Pugh calls it a three-head. three, three head Like, if we, had, if we blended our foreheads together, it'd be a perfect forehead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so. I have been, uh, I've had many compliments on this forehead. <laughs> you're, uh, you're the first born in this uh, little... Yeah, uh, my brother was born, uh, I have a half-sister. My dad was married when he was 19 to a 30-year-old. Oh. <laughs> and then he had a baby, and then he was and like, then I, I was like what am I doing? Yeah. So they got a divorce, and then he went. He came to Canada. And eventually, my sister and her mom came to Canada as well. So I met her. And they just come in looking for child support, or they're just... I think both. Yeah? Yeah. I think my and, dad was paying child support until she was 18, yeah. Yeah, and then yeah, but we she, were she, she wanted her dad, and um, or the mother either. wanted... Oh, okay. I think the mom was chasing my dad, because my, my dad and my mom growing up was always like, this is going to be one day, like, you know, like, back to the future. It's like, <laughs> one day this is going to be a crazy old man and a kid. So he, he, gave, me, he, he gave me those stories. Like, since I couldn't remember, like, this could be a crazy old lady. Gray sports and a lady that, and, a, and a girl that looks like you. <laughs> that has long hair, and they're going to be want to be your friends. I met the uh, my sister growing up, so she was like cool, mm-hmm. but I didn't meet How her. How much mom. older was she? She's like four years older than okay. I am, I, and I, I didn't meet my I didn't meet her mom until I was like twenty two. Uh, okay. and she was the sweetest old lady. Yeah, she's an old lady now. Yeah. You know, and so my, in my head, I pictured her to be this wicked witch yeah, of the, yeah, the evil. Yeah, but she was like, have some cookies. Oh, yeah. 
And it's like, yeah, like people are too old to fight at a certain yeah, time. There's, there's some people that they want to keep fighting though. And they don't, uh, they just harbor resentment for my parents. My dad will not even look at my mom as she's in the room. Like Were they divorced? Six, they've been divorced since 94, man. Holy shit. Did that fuck you up a bit? It didn't really fuck me up. I think well, you're it, doing comedy, so that's, yeah. Well, I guess there's that's, that's, uh, a reason. I think uh, at the point when my parents divorced, I was like, just please break up. Like, yeah, it, yeah. It wasn't a happy household, you know. Right. I think for me, it was just like you know, I had a half sister. I didn't really. Did your mom know about the half sister? Yeah. Okay. My so, mom was the only, so it wasn't like this woman showed up. No, and was like, "Here's your daughter." My mom actually was the reason why I know my sister because she was like, "Hey, do you know you have a half sister?" Kind of, because you told me to stay away from her. <laughs> I was like, "Well, you know what? She, I was 14. She works at the grocery store down the road now. So once you call her and say hi, because it's good to know your sister." Yeah. And I did, and we we really got. And to How old are you? I was 14 at the You're time. 14 when you met you her. Know, uh, when I really started hanging out with her, mm-hmm. and then um, you guys still close? No. I think what happened was she just started getting pissed off because, you know, we're not, we're not a real unit. And so she felt left out a lot and she felt, and 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 sometimes I just hang out with my brother and won't include her. And so she was, and so we were just like, you know, we can't even, you can't get into this family the same way Mm -hmm. right now. Yeah. It doesn't work that way. I had a stepbrother come in and it wasn't like, it was just, it came in a weird time where like I was already, uh, I was like 15 or 14 or 15 or something. Yeah, no, yeah. I was about 15, but he was like three years younger than me. So it's at the point where like, you can't hang out with a 12 year old when you're no. 15, you know, like when I, when I'm 21 and he's 18, completely different story. Right. But, um, and then, so just, we just never melded. Yeah. It's almost like people, uh, that moved to LA from Canada and then eventually some comics from Canada move to LA two years after and they want to hang out with you yeah well, and then I like, like your friends you're like we've never hung out in Toronto <laughs> yeah and now we're best friends yeah now we're best friends know, because we uh, we had a, the same postal code for a while <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. So it's, it's like that. It's just it's hard to mesh in your life with someone else's life just because you're family or because you started in Toronto. Mm-hmm. So it just doesn't work that way. And, and sometimes, you know, you can't just Dude, have to I get it. I won't them. call you when I get to LA. It's fine. That's why I'm here. <laughs> just to tell you that. I want the I want the four people to know. <laughs> oh man! No, I would definitely hang out with anybody that was <laughs> wanting to come down. And you know, if I have the time, I will yeah, I'll go no, and no, do no. that. It's, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so what's uh, what's growing up like? It's uh, uh, growing up middle class, lower class. Like- well, my dad basically he we're lower class first. Then he opened he started a business when I was six, and uh, we actually got in a car accident when my mom was in a wheelchair when I was six years old. So she was a paraplegic until. She passed away like two years ago. Oh, I had no idea. Yeah, so this. I took care of her with my mom, with my brother and my dad throughout my whole life. So, and that's what my motivated probably my dad to make a lot of money. He made millions, a couple million dollars for the business. Mm-hmm. He bought a mansion and he had everything. Wheelchair accessible. Everything, right? So she didn't feel he like. He stuck with her though. That's, uh, that's well, a yeah, man. He stuck with her and he took care of her till the day she died. And it's, I think that was. The motivation, motivating factor to make that much money. After she passed away, he sold everything and said, "I don't need to. Yeah, I got to yeah. get a condo or something yeah, I small. Yeah. I just um, rent." How old were you in the car accident too? Yeah, like everybody the was whole in a, family. The was whole in? family was in a car accident. Uh, what happened was somebody cut us off. We fell in a ditch, and I was looking at the the front the mirror 
Or the, the, the window. Well, what year is this? You're probably not 19, strapped in 1981. Either. Yeah, so you're not wearing a seatbelt. You're no, a kid running around was. in the back seat. Oh, yeah. And then I just saw the world turning, and I'm like, wow, the world's turning. But I'm like, <laughs> our car's not. But then, then we all woke up no. outside of the van. Oh, jeez. And I was, I couldn't walk. I dislocated my leg. My dad and my brother were, had scratches. My mom broke a uh, tube for vertebrae. And so all I remember is my mom saying, am I dead? And then I saw people rush into the, the mud and the guy was holding me up. He's like, can you walk? I'm like, no. And then we all rushed to the hospital. My mom was helicoptered to the hospital. And then me and my brother were, were in the same room. And the doctor came in with my dad and said, your mom's going to pass away in a couple hours. Uh, she can't breathe. So you you want you have to see her. And you know, we, what's and how old are you? Sorry. I'm I just turned seven. Okay. My brother is nine. And I think when you're that young, what protects you from trauma is stupidity or just not knowing shit. So we're like walking in and we see my mom in the bed and she's like dying. She has a respirator and she's just like, uh, uh, and we're like, hmm, that's weird. And it's like, yeah, so mom. And then when the doctor said, mom's not going to make your mom's not going to make it tomorrow. Then we were like, holy shit, this is real. Uh-huh. So we pretty much said goodbye to her. And then we left the room. And the next day, the doctor said, for some unbelievable reason, her lungs started working again. And we don't. We took her off everything. So she is going to be in rehab for three years. And then she could be sent home. So she was in a special rehabilitation center. For three years. For three years. Uh, when I was six, seven, eight, nine, ten. 1985, she went, uh, came to, started living with our home. And then that's when my dad really picked up the business to move us out of the to Scarborough, which is not a bad neighborhood at the time, but it was not getting great. Mm-hmm. What part of Scarborough? It was uh, Finch and Warden. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> it's not yeah, right Circle area. Yeah, Bethune was the, sh- was the uh, school that was uh, closest to us on Funday Bam. And so, and, and really, I just, you know, uh, growing up with a mom in a wheelchair was just normal for me. I didn't really... Mm-hmm. People are like, oh, I feel so sorry for. Her. Like, why? It doesn't. It's no. That's my norm. And how was she about it? Like, was she was she mad at the world? No, or was she, she was the happiest person I've ever known. Yeah. And so when I see people that are naturally angry, I'm like, I guess you're you're that's your genetics because my mom was in a worse position than you, and she was yeah. happy. Did so a lot of with me grandkids. Your brother. My had brother had a grandkid uh, uh, six years ago, so she got to see him grow up to, up to four years old. Nice. And, uh, and then, you know, comedy is about pain, but it's not really, you have to, you, it depends how you bring it up on stage, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of the stories that I would tell has some pain to it. You just wouldn't know because I am a very optimistic person. Yeah. You know, well, or some people are naturally <laughs> pessimist, negative, which is funny, right? But you, everybody has that some kind of weird pain they show it more than i do right? mm-hmm. mine doesn't show in front of no you don't uh you, you don't come across as jaded and, no. like, and, and, angry. and you know why it's because i've seen people in worse positions yeah one of my friends was like telling me i was like you know how can you even take all this shit they're like yuck kicks did this to you or this guy did this to you or these comics and this and, that, and the world's so shitty i'm like my job at six years old or seven years old was to make sure my mom was happy Mm-hmm. because she was in a really bad position. So half of the reason why she was probably happy because we hid everything from her. My brother broke his knee and pretended he, he never was his fine. He was like, hey, what are you doing? Why are you limping? No, it's stretching. Like everything was, was made sure that she was not upset because she was already in that position to be upset. You know, So she was actually the, the, one of the toughest people I've 
I've known and she probably the only person I know in my life really that was that it was more happier than anybody I met. It takes work to make yourself happy. And I think that's that's what we did. And and our jobs were making people happy. So now she's gone and I, I'm still that way. I'm like, yeah, I, I got to make myself happy for the rest of my next 30, 40 years that I'm in this world. And you've been, you chose a career where you make other people happy too. Yeah. You're a, you're a people pleaser, Ron. Well, you know what? Um, I really don't care too much about, this may sound so weird, but I don't care to talk about audience after. I really don't care about their happiness as much as how my joke worked mm-hmm. it's almost selfish in that like way you're not waiting around for that uh hey good show tonight man no. just- and, and i have a friend that actually does it maybe once a, a week a month and he does it specifically to make people happy i don't get that mm-hmm. so as much as i look like a people pleaser i'm really doing it because it's the art that I love the fact that they're laughing their heads off or whatever and they think yeah, no, it's like, too, like, i really don't care I love taking a joke that works one way and trying it another way to see if it works that way, you know? Like, and right, if it right. bombs, this audience doesn't get the good joke, but yeah, yeah. at least I'm learning a lesson about my material and not... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, and you know what? The laughter we get, that is, I guess, the result of a great written joke or something that you worked hard at. Mm-hmm. So making them laugh in that level just to make them not laugh, whatever. Yeah. I really don't care about that because I don't know them. I love leaving gigs and just walking right out the door. Yeah. I could make an extra $500 a week just selling and merch. Selling, yeah. And I hate it so much. I'm like, there has to be another way of doing this. Mm-hmm. You know, I even had my girlfriend doing it uh, my, oh, when I was dating somebody and they hated it too. Like, I hate no, saying no shit. I'm like, it's worse for me. <laughs> Sometimes I bomb and then I have I to I feel sell. bad. Like when you see comics that uh, they're trying to, like, I've seen comics bomb and then stand out in the front lobby trying to sell stuff I'm like then they should show sell shirts that says no shame <laughs> like, because really uh, that's very that's no you have to have no shame to sell shit at the end mm-hmm. but and, you're and having no like, shame people walk by and they've got like they just don't even want to look at the guy yeah, yeah. I'm like oh don't don't look he's gonna want to some guys him. are just naturally they're, they're they're doing two shows one show they actually do on live in front of them is on the stage and the second show they're doing while they're selling and so mm-hmm. it's a it's a show and routine of how to sell it's a different it's a real thing where they go put my merch here I say this this is what I say when I see these couples, old people, and you know, hey man, you got to get this for your girl. Like they have some this shit down. I've some, seen some of these guys go up um, with uh, f- like five different items. No, yeah, like this is a T-shirt I used to do a joke about. Yeah. Okay, and he's like, well, I still got some T-shirts left for sale. So yeah, like yeah after yeah, the jo- yeah. like he tell the joke and then be like, and some of these are, yeah. and it was just like you're doing jokes for, for your the merch. merch. See that that's a hardcore road person, you know. Mm-hmm. And and I think that uh, Canada and Canadian comics are proud to be humble that way. They were not really into that, and we really are about the art form and less about the marketing and less about the business. It's like if you get if you blow up, it was because you were just doing your art. Mm-hmm. You had nothing to do with the business, but when you look at every big comedian now they're very businessy yeah you know so uh, you got a following and like that's what you want now you can't uh you can't prove yourself on stage anymore you gotta like even if you want a tv show mm-hmm. they're like well go make a viral video and if it's if it hits we'll make a tv show out of that yeah like, it's a very weird world we live in now but anyway yeah we'll get to comedy later uh i want to get back to uh back to growing up in your house um yeah. are you guys a religious family a lot of filipinos are um, uh, religious you know what? They believe in God, but they, we were we we're not like we never went to church every Sunday or 
Mm-hmm. What like, about after mom's accident? Did you start going to church no, then? No, you know what? No, it was just we, we, you know what? If in my mom's position, she she questioned why would did she have to do that, and then yeah. she came to why why did that happen to her, and I think she came to a conclusion of you know what? Some people in this world just suffer more than others, and you either make the best of it or you just die. Like she mm-hmm. was really that straightforward. Like you know what? I'm. I'm one of the population that ta- has to take it for the rest of everybody. How did she end up dying in the end? Uh, she had a brain um, hemorrhage, hemorrhaging the brain. So she had a well, she she had. So it wasn't a result of her accident. No. Well, everything is a result of that yeah. because uh, when you are a paraplegic, you don't have mobility, and so to be healthy, it's impossible to be healthy. Drugs keep you alive and postpone your death, as opposed to exercise making you live longer. There's two different things. Yeah. Exercise makes you live longer. Eating healthy makes you live longer. But medicine pro, pro, postpones, postpones your, death. your death. And that's okay. how she lived. She couldn't be healthy. She was... Eventually, we, we she had to go to the hospital every five months, every four months, every three months. And then her last two years, she was there once every two weeks because something would fuck up. You know, like everything from a, from her bladder to... Any circulation. Circulation. Whatsoever. It's just you... The doctors were saying in her condition, she it was shocking that she actually went past 20 years, where the only reason why she probably did and made, did 35 years in a wheelchair is because my- Good family. Yeah, that's what it was. And we kept her happy and alive, and we always made sure, you know, so I would, anywhere I was in the world, I'd fly back once a month to, to keep her happy, you know, mm-hmm. because the motivation for her living was seeing her children. Did she get to see you do comedy? Oh, yeah. Well, I never bought her a club because it was just so hard to bring her there. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but I would do comedy f- in, you know, the speeches of her uh, of weddings because it's the same thing. Yeah, it's like yeah, you got yeah. an audience and there's like a lineup of speeches and I'll, be, I'll put myself in a sweet spot. They don't know about this. <laughs> like, I'll go after not the, cl- the I'm person. I'm going right before the best man. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not going after the fucking person that's making anybody cry. <laughs> Yeah, so I had my opener. <laughs> no, really. And, and I don't want to so, go bef- after the bride's father. <laughs> yeah, you can't do that. And so I set up the wedding, like my brother's wedding, my cousin's weddings, and my friend's weddings that she actually went to. I set up this, the actual bridal party table as a comedy show. So I, I made it. I made sure that it was on a stage, and there was a part where you could, I could walk around and yeah. use a mic. So they didn't know that I was doing this, but they were like, but when I did it, they're like, "Oh, this guy's just using the stage and and actually getting into an act." After I just talk about everybody else and then get into an act, and and then that was their way of seeing, and I think they would appre- they like that more maybe because it was around their friends. Yeah, yeah. Um, what about uh, were you going on family vacations? I guess you're limited to what you can do now. Eh? Yeah, well, well, like you're not taking well, camping trips in the Algonquin. No, we're we're, like we're going. We, we went to the states a lot, but just the just the border cities. So we would we would go to like New York, we would go to Chicago, we would go to Buffalo, and <laughs> and, and then we would stay in hotels. Buffalo to go to, vacation destination. Oh yeah. <laughs> my mom, my mom couldn't go too far, mm-hmm. especially if something happened. We, we you know we couldn't just use the U.S. facility. Uh, yeah, medical system. Yeah, fucked. Yeah, so we would make sure it was like a weekend and we'd come and bring it. And then eventually she just couldn't really go out anymore because there was just too many problems. You know, she had a specialized bed, specialized wheelchair, a special food, special everything. So you you, you leave the home and you couldn't even go two hours and then something would, you know, anything could happen. It was just like, mm-hmm. oh, she, she didn't have enough strength to, to stay up or breathe or... Yeah. And then so she like I think uh, 
20 years ago or no 10 years ago she had a stroke and then she just slipped in a coma so she we thought we lost her 10 years ago and then after that she got out of the coma again there were so many of these weird miracles where the doctor would say more than five six times it's like she's in a coma she's no longer breathing she has a breathing tube so what do you want to do and they would always ask me and i'd be like just take out the tube let her die in peace mm -hmm. and then they would take out the tube and she wouldn't be breathing and we would say goodbye we'd go home the next day <laughs> <laughs> Next day, we go to the hospital, and they're like, she got out of it. So, she's fighting somewhere. Yeah, like, yeah, she yeah. Not, When you're in a wheelchair... It's, it's, it's got to be hard. Like, I don't want to compare what you're going through to what she went through, but, like, for you guys to have to say goodbye that many times, and then... Just, it's emotionally... It destroys you. It's, yeah. like, too many times... Like, when I got... When I did my showcase for Mark Breslin to get promoted when I was in my second year, I guess, or a year and a half, my mom was on her deathbed, uh, getting open heart surgery. And so I had to somehow get the strength to do this showcase. And, I, uh, and then I did great. Mark said, you're promoting you. You're working on the, start working on the road. And right after he said that I went to the hospital and my mom was awake and she's like, congratulations. I'm like, what? <laughs> it's like, I know you, you got promoted because my spirit left my body <laughs> and I was there and I'm like, come on. She's like, you were wearing this. Mark was wearing this. She named it all. I'm like, you were there. She's like, okay, I've been almost dead five times. I think I can say this. <laughs> and she says she, her spirit leaves her body and because it, it's happened too many times. She's have, she's seen too many things when, when we thought she was dead or in a coma when she wasn't there. Mm -hmm. And then so she would come back and tell us exactly. And we're like, this is impossible. Like when she was in a coma, my brother was crying. He was the, he was there first. And the nurse was, again, my mom was unconscious. The nurse was consoling my brother. And she was an older lady that was Spanish or whatever. And she, when she got out of the coma later, she was like, did you know my body left? And I saw the lady that was holding you or crying. And my brother was like, what? It's like, look, I've been almost dead five times. I'm not making this shit up. So does all this make you a believer? Of course. Well, I mean, I I don't know what's out there. Mm -hmm. I don't know if there's a heaven. I don't know if there's a God. I don't know. But I, well, I, all I do know is she saw shit that she was not supposed to see. Yeah. And so I'm like, that makes me go, what the fuck is this shit? I've never had any ghost stories before, but... 15 years ago, my girlfriend and I, this girl Krista was dating, her grandmother died. So we, she, for three months, we couldn't have sex. And I was like, I guess I have to deal with this <laughs> or dump her. <laughs> I dumped you. Why? Because your grandmother died. And she's like, so three months goes by and uh, I'm re remembering how to jerk off. And then I'm doing Niagara Falls Yuck Yucks as a middle. This is 15 years ago, I think. And we're eating prosciutto <laughs> and we're taking the wrappers and we're like, it's like, where's the garbage? I go to the bathroom to get the garbage bin, put it beside my bed and we put all the wrapper shit in. And after she's like, you know what? Let's, let's have sex. It's been three months. I think I'm good. So right when I'm on top of her, she goes, get off me. I go, why? My, she was like, my grandmother's here. I'm like, what? She's like, do you smell the perfume? I go, yeah, that's your perfume. She's like, nope, that's my grandmother's perfume. I didn't wear perfume today. And I'm like, okay, well, it's your bag. And she's like, Ron, you like it? She's here. I could feel her presence. I could smell her. I'm like, okay, whatever. We I we go back. We start eating prosciutto and chips and all that shit. And she's like, uh, here's your gar here's the garbage. I'm like, 
okay, the bin's on, not here. It's on your side. She's like, not my side. It's on your side. And I'm like, well, nobody got up. Where's the fucking bin? We look in the bathroom, and it's right under the frame. And nobody got up. And I'm not even lying to you with this. And she's like, see, I told you. I told you. And I just put the sheets over my head, and I passed out. I just said, I'm shutting off. I'm done. I'm not, I can't deal with this. And, she, and it's May 17th is the day her grandmother died. She calls me every May 17th. It's been 15 years. She goes, hey, what's up? Long time here, and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, yeah, how you been? She's like, you know why I'm calling you. And I don't care too much about talking to you, but I just want you to tell me that that shit happened with the garbage pail. I go, yes. I was like, that's all. So I don't know. I don't, who, I don't know how the fuck that happened. I don't know how my mom saw all this stuff. There's some pervert under the bed. There, I looked under the bed and those roaches could not do that. Niagara Falls hotel room. There are definitely people living under those beds. Yeah. Every time you go to a hotel and you see the, the, the name, you could tell how shitty the hotel is by how great the name is given to the perfect hotel. The Royal hotel is the shittiest. They're still advertising, um, color TV and air conditioning at most Niagara Falls yeah, hotels. Yeah. Uh, so growing up then, um, you got, uh, you play any sports or anything? Okay, what do we do? We played road hockey a lot, which I didn't like. Like no organized sports? Uh, no, we we pretty much just hung out. There was not there wasn't there was hardly any organized sports in the area. Like Mike Ricci or Ricci was the only guy in our elementary school that was playing hockey. Yeah, he and, just, and just he made the NHL. Yeah, <laughs> and he and he was a guy that was two doors down from me. And whenever our bikes got stolen, he would get them back. <laughs> and he'd be he's bust some heads and he was all bloody <laughs> and he's like hey uh, Mike uh, those the bullies took our bikes again he's like Ugh. but he was like he was that yeah. crazy uh, and then we found out he was in the NHL and we're like what in the Rangers and he was on the Flyers for a bit yeah for sure and he was a tough kid man he was a white only white kid in our block actually what it was it diverse growing up for you yeah, there was hardly any wave people. It was, um, our neighborhood was basically Jamaican, Filipino, Chinese, Greek. And this is still Italian. Scarborough? Yeah, it's Scarborough in like 80, 81 to 88. The homes at that time were $50,000. They're all semi-detached. And uh, I, I didn't know it was it, looked, it was shitty back then. It, it was nice. It was just smaller homes. Yeah. But uh, hardly any white people. There. But the white people that we did hang that were there were cool, the, but they were tough. Because I guess they got beaten up a lot because they were white. Being the only, uh, I guess, I, if you're the only any of something, you should be tough. You, you should be tough. Yeah. And he was tough as shit. Like, Mike beat up the toughest guys in our block. Who were you? Were you a scrapper growing up? Yeah, I know you, you can, know what? I, know I was, can throw the fists these days. It was weird because I, I, never, I never liked fighting, but I, I fought a few, like maybe five or six times in, okay. in, in grade school. And then eventually... I really loved mar any kind of martial arts. So even before the UFC, we were watching kickboxing and before kickboxing. So we would have these fights in our homes where my dad would, wouldn't give a shit. Like we'd get all the, this is like grade nine, 10, 11, 12. And then the UFC started in 93. So we were already, my brother was a, was taking a martial art with his best friend uh, from the university, that movie called Ip Man. Yeah. So Ip Man, his last five students was Bruce Lee, 
And for these other guys, two of them were my brother's teachers. He, he kind of found him like a Mr. Miyagi thing. He was taking Kung Fu from this commercial place. And we didn't know that our best friend in Scarborough growing up, this Chinese guy, was getting taught underground from this crazy guy mm-hmm. that was a university uh, professor, a U of T professor. And so my brother, he was like, hey, my, my teacher, Sifu, was having a birthday party. And he goes, I can invite my friends. So he invited my brother to this. And they were all doing, like, fucking around with a wooden dummy. And my brother was doing it, too. And the teacher came up to him and was like, so Simon taught you. He's like, yeah, did Doug tell you? He's like, no, I just see his flaws in you. <laughs> He's like, what? He's like, and he shows the picture of Bruce Lee and this and that. Yeah. And he goes, uh, you train for me. You don't, I mean, train with me. I don't even charge you. They never charged anybody. He only had like 15 to 20 students. Really? He did it because he loved it. And this is the guy that taught you? No, he taught my brother Wing Chun. So uh, Kung Fu. What did you learn? Because you know, what do you I, know? I I did Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu before that wrestling, before that uh, boxing, right? So I was like... Went to boxing gyms, and I used to wrestle in high school. And so my brother and I, my dad had a factory that had, like, imported and exported foods all over the country. So we had a giant freezer that was probably 50 meters by 50 meters. And one time, we just, he, it was his kung fu versus my boxing for one hour straight in the, in the freezer until my dad opened the door. And he goes, there's customers out there. We're all bleeding. <laughs> and I found out that his style was actually more effective than what I was doing. We we got we had this thing called the dungeon, which was my dad's basement. We got mats. We put boxing things up. And we, we started doing everything before the UFC. We're doing kickboxing, karate. And then we would do challenge matches in the basement with neighborhood, neighborhood people. So yeah. nobody really fucks with you guys then? They fucked with us a lot, but we fought, we, we liked, we, we were in, we used to go to government, which is RPM back then. And we used to fight a lot, all these, whoever, like, and I never, we never really, we had two friends that would instigate it and we couldn't say no. So we would go, we would be like, I guess we have to practice their moves on real people. Mm-hmm. So we <laughs> did that. And then, and then when the UFC started, what happened was before the UFC, my brother and I were at my, in California and we saw this Gracie jujitsu uh, school and it wasn't big. And then we saw this lineup and we saw in the magazines, actually, they're saying if there's a jujitsu challenge, if you beat these Gracie brothers, you would get like $10,000. So we watched this lineup of Mexican gang members or whoever, and they're just constantly getting tapped out and not beat up or not even just like tapping out with arm bars. And then we're like, what is this? And they're like, y- you want to try? You can. And they're filming all this. And it's online. It's called Gracie in Action. And then so my brother and I, we wanted to try. We actually took a class, and then they're like, hey, can we do that fighting thing? They're like, yeah, yeah. So it was like, they took out the camera, and then you have to take off your shirt, and, and they're just like, wow, oh, these guys are going to be shit. Like they, <laughs> they, they knew that it wasn't going to be fun. It, was, it looked so bad. Yeah. Because we're these fat, chubby kids or whatever. <laughs> and then uh, I pretty, pretty much attacked Hoist, and then he fucking guillotined me. So it was just so fast, and then and then we started training there. Nobody knew that in Canada at the time that we were training jujitsu. Then we went to all these judo places, and we they, we fought their teachers, and then we were challenged by my friend's karate instructor mm-hmm. at twelve midnight. So my brother and I were, were like, "Hey, we got to go fight a real like these instructors want to fight us." And so we go there, and we there was. Uh, my friend Rico and his two teachers were there and like, so what are you guys, I heard you guys do this Gracie thing. So we wanted to see if this really works. 
And so I took on this Japanese karate guy and he kicked me in the face and I was almost out cold. And I was like, I couldn't see anything. And after he, he went to soccer, kicked my head and I grabbed him, put him on the ground. I mounted and he turned around and I choked him unconscious. And all the students were like, what the fuck? <laughs> and I'm like... Yeah, that's, that's, that's how easy it is, man. <laughs> so we used to do that a lot. You know, we used to do a lot of fights. But then later, when I, fired, when I started comedy, I stopped going hardcore in that. And a lot of my friends kept going and they made it to the UFC. And really? Mark Bocek I started with, who, made, who was a UFC uh, fighter. Carlos Newton I started with, who was a UFC champion. Uh, a couple other guys at Omar Salvosa. He's, like, he's, he's 43 right now and he's still... So this is all pre-comedy? Yeah. What brings you to LA? Like pre comedy, just because my cousins live there. Oh, okay. So we always visited them since the nineties. Like so going to LA was a regular thing before comedy. So going to LA now, it doesn't even feel like yeah. it's a move. It's just hey, this is now an easy, easy transition because I have more family there now actually. Mm-hmm. You know, so there it's kinda like I really feel that it's my second home, not like here, but I've been there since nineteen ninety almost every year and sometimes four five six times that one year yeah. you know so so you got roots you got your connections you got everything you need yeah so and so that, that's my life growing up it was like we grew up with scarborough hung out with all these kids we would like to play fight then really fight and then i got into comedy and then i first time i went on stage i got booed off <laughs> and i said this hurts more than any fight <laughs> so i must like it more and i tell you the truth I love and hate comedy, but the love is so much, it's high mm-hmm. that it doesn't compare to even jujitsu. Yeah, like so, I find it like if I have a bad night of comedy, yeah, it affects me. It for, does, but I, it affects me that night. I wake up in the morning, I'm not harboring ill will good. about it, and then you go out and you do the next show. Because there's then, too many shows to do. How you yeah. could, how you harbor on something that you're going to do again yeah, the next like, day? Yeah, like, oh shit, that, we fucked up, we'll do it right tomorrow. Yeah. It's, it's, such a, it's such a self-correcting system as well, even yeah. for jokes as well. Like, oh, the joke didn't work that way. I'm going to try it this way tomorrow, you know? And it's, yeah, it's, it's so detailed. And, it's like, I mean, you, and you're never done. You never, you can never be done. Even if you fit, like my, my routine kind of thing is I'm always working on a five minute showcase set. Mm-hmm. So it's always in the works. But then I always, I'm always also, whatever I think that shouldn't belong in that five minute set, I'll take out and I'll put it in my act act. Yeah. Or sometimes I try, when I try new jokes, it's all, everybody's there for a different reason. You know, sometimes like, like what, a couple of nights ago, I opened new and I died and I got heckled. <laughs> and, I, and that, I, driving home was, I have to drive to Guelph because my brother lives there, and that went by in like four seconds. I'm like, ah, fuck, that guy got me. Do you have no place here now? Like, are you? No, I stay with my brothers in Guelph. And so you're LA full time then? Yeah, yeah. That's your base of operations, but you're 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 on the road more than anybody I know. Yeah, and I really want to stop it. I really hate the road. Like, yeah. the road is fun for ten years and makes you a great comic, but then then it becomes a problem. I find because yeah. what happens is you grow out of it. Yeah. It's a different lifestyle. And you know. you know what? Being unfamous on the road is not fun. Being famous on the road is fun because mm-hmm. you get to pick and choose your weeks. Yeah. I know Ali Wong and I started, I, I remember we did DVD, a DVD div- together 15 years ago. And now she's like, no, I get, I choose my dates. I go, you know what? This month I don't need to go. I'm like, that's amazing. I'm forced to go every weekend and it's even hard to even get forced to do it every weekend because mm-hmm. it's hard to get booked every weekend. But I do it every weekend. And I'm like, even 
if I could do this, which I am, and if comics like that, hey man, that's not going to be fun at 45 and over. How fun is that going to be? Yeah. Some people are like, man, I can do that for the rest of my life. Bullshit. No, you can, man. It, Every it, fucking weekend it, it, in your uh, past 40. Yeah, that's, why, that's why they find so many of us dead in hotel rooms. I believe that's the reason why the comics kill themselves. <laughs> but you know what? This is what's better. You stay in L.A. or Toronto, New York, or Chicago, or whatever. You find an acting, writing, producing job. If you're producing a comedy show, a podcast, or, or even a, a own comedy show, making money doing that, you stay in the city, you start auditioning, and choose when you want to go. Mm-hmm. Because some days I do not want to get the road, but then to be forced to do that, it's not fun. Yeah, so you got to cover your nut, too? Like, yeah. Like, well, if I don't go, then I don't eat next week. So. Right. And so the my thing is now... Hey, get the acting, writing, producing job or radio job and stay in the city and choose to go on the road when you want to, mm-hmm. which is like, for me, I would love to go on the road maybe two weeks a month and sometimes a week a month. And, and maybe once a year, I'll go, I'll do a whole world tour for like a two months and that's it. You know, that, that, more than that, I, why would I want to leave so much? You yeah, kind no. of want a base. There's people, there's young guys that want to be out on the road, and like I'm, I'm still a young comic, but I'm an old man because I didn't start till I was in my like I was. How old are you now? Thirty-seven. Okay, and you like started, started around 30? thirty. Like first time I did comedy, I was twenty-eight, but I didn't. Right. I didn't start comedy. Well, people that start at thirty get their voice quicker because they already know who they are, kind of thing. Yeah, and I had shit to talk about too, so yeah. it, was, it was easier. But it's like you seemed always a little older, uh, more of a comic veteran than you in, than you were. Like you, when I see you on stage, I was like, he's been doing it for a while. But really, you yeah, I've really been doing it for a while. But like, I I remember like. When I started, like, when I decided, okay, this is what I want to do, I did, I hit the ground running and I went full force and, yeah, yeah. like, just... Uh, that show is always fun. Your show, it's it's one of the very few booked shows in Toronto that's always fucking fun. Yeah, it, uh, we try to keep up a good quality down there at the old doping mic. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. I got uh, a lot of new jokes from that place. Good, that's what it's there for, man. It's, <laughs> it's, uh, it's a gym before all else. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, what, uh, let's talk about... Um, girls in high school or elementary school when did you uh start fancying in the ladies um i think when i was four years old i got in trouble because at <laughs> sleeping time i was looking up the at some girl's skirt <laughs> and so they told my mom and my mom was like fake mad she said to the the teacher she's like oh my god i'm so embarrassed <laughs> and then she was like you little just happy you're not gay yeah <laughs> probably no, she probably didn't care but she was just like okay this guy probably likes girls like really early and i, remember, I never thought they were gross i remember grade one this girl was wearing the tank top and i remember being excited because i could see her nipple yeah, yeah. Oh, i'm like oh look at that nipple because I, I had no idea what the fuck it was i just knew we weren't supposed to see them because girl yeah, i knew yeah. girls tried so hard to cover that up and I was like, I can see it. And I remember being very, I was like six years old. Like, yeah, yeah. look at that. At that age, you still like, whoa, like, you know, mm-hmm. the, you, you still have testosterone. So you're feeling it. Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, especially if you're breastfed and you see some like uh, your teacher's tits or something, you're just like, oh yeah. A young boy responds to uh, a oh, for sure. woman. Oh yeah. I see it all the time. <laughs> Yeah, old, boys, then, old boys respond to them too. Oh, for sure. We just can't. It's, <laughs> we have no fucking power over that. <laughs> everybody's first girlfriend is probably I, I had a girlfriend like actually the first girlfriend was like grade 7 she was the only see I moved from Scarborough to Richmond Hill mm-hmm. or Markham and at that time there was not a influx of ethnic people yet and my family was like the only and then so when I went to that school 
there was a Filipino girl in that school too, and they basically were like, "Oh, I guess you guys, yeah, are, you guys have to pair off." Yeah, <laughs> so we were, we were like literally paired together. My and, school had one Filipino girl. She was in my older brother's grade. Oh, really? Yeah. Was she hot? Oh, uh, yeah. Oh. Yeah, this girl was Angelique Montana, so she girl. was really cute. So we were, that was my first girlfriend from grade seven, grade eight. And we just made out at the portables. <laughs> like we didn't do, like I, I remember going, I made out behind some portables. She grabbed some asses here. <laughs> and I remember grabbing an ass and it was so uncomfortable. <laughs> like in grade seven, you know, it was like, uh, you know, but and nobody was banging or anything yet. Yeah, I, I remember grade seven or grade eight, it was, there was this girl, Anna Coco, and uh, she used to, uh, when she'd kiss you, she'd leave your, her lipstick all over you, and you were like, hey, yeah, check yeah. it out. But were people banging in grade seven and eight? No, I think... Uh, it was like it was a story of a horror. Yeah, like, I think... <laughs> I think... Because um, we're not that much apart in age, but I still think when I was a kid, it was very taboo. Yeah, me too. Um, yeah, yeah. But, like, I think one girl... I think I fingered a girl in, like, grade seven or eight, and I was yeah, just yeah. like... I just remember like the first vagina. I was like, "Oh my god!" Yeah. Um, but nowadays, uh, they're fucking young these days. Oh yeah, it's crazy now. And they all got phones, and they're all sending each other titty pics yeah. at like twelve years old. It's, it's a so fucking different. weird world now, yeah. man. And high school is fourteen to eighteen, I would think, right? And nobody was there. Was people were banging, but it was so discreet. Nobody was, like, talking about it. With this move to Richmond Hill and saying you're the only Filipino, did you ever, like, were you ever discriminated against? No, never. That was always... My white experience is amazing. Yeah. It's just... Like, we are... There's some good ones out there. <laughs> Everybody loves me, and they all took... And they were mad whenever I could... Like, my first day of school, they all came... Like, maybe 15 students came to my house and said, do you want to go out? And they took me out. Like... Honestly, best experience. Uh, like some people don't have good ones, but my friends, uh, like back then and till today, have always been great people. Mm -hmm. You know, like they've always just—they've never. I've never felt. The only time I felt racism was outside of Toronto when I went to me, Steve Patterson, Gavin Stevens, and Jason Rouse. We went to this place called Park Parkville, which is in London. And this was the first time I was yelled at in a race, in a racist way. So I went up first and this is in 1997. So I'm the worst of the, all three of them. So I go up first after Steve Patterson and it was always good. It was the weird thing about Steve and Jason is they're always good. Is this because this is a while ago? Is this Steve Patterson uh, now or Steve Dillon now? Steve Patterson from not Steve Dillon, Steve Patterson okay. from the debaters. Cause I, I don't know when Steve Dillon changed to Dillon. I don't know either, but Steve Patterson, the debaters, debaters. he was always, I, we, we couldn't believe, we were, we, an amateur night, he would have five new minutes of whatever the, the, the news was. He's very charismatic too. Oh like yeah. He can. And so with Jason. And so, and they, you know, they, they loved me and Gavin too. They were like, Hey man, we, we, we'll do this. We're all amateurs. Nobody's professional yet. Yeah. And if we were making still, you know, a hundred bucks each hotel because they put the show together they were all very he was very smart and then I Steve would host and then he'd bring me up and then I, and then I heard why don't you go back to your country chink I heard that and I started laughing because I thought it was Jason or and I'm like and, and, and someone goes no really man like we don't like your kind it was weird they <laughs> said do, the, you, do you know what my kind is they, know, they, know. they thought I was Chinese and then it was just more confusing to me. And, um, and then I, I, then they were like, those guys, that guy was an asshole. Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I'm like, I don't even know what the fuck this feeling is. Like, mm -hmm. cause I never had that. Yeah. And then, like, I never had it anywhere in my life. Only when I started traveling outside of 
Toronto. Well, that's the thing about Toronto is like, uh, I feel it's a great thing that we are so diverse and everyone's accepting. Um, but a lot of like real Torontonians don't understand once you leave here, people get pretty fucking ugly, man. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and, and it may not even be as bad now. People are like, there's no racism again. They're like, drive two hours north. True. Like, I was uh, doing Sterling Scott's room in Edmonton a, a year ago or last summer. And it's a predominantly, uh, you know, urban crowd black, Asian, white, whoever's into hip hop. And this guy stands up and he's like, fuck you, man. White power, white power. And he just did the salute. The, the, the Hitler salute? Yeah. And, and I was like, Hey man, if you don't leave right now, I'm gonna jump off and beat the shit out of you just, <laughs> just by principle. I'm not even mad at you. And they had to take him out, and they said uh, after the like, honestly, Ron, you shouldn't freak out over that shit because it's still this way sometimes. Yeah, and, and I, I didn't think, know that. I think you should be able to defend racism with violence. I think so too. Like if somebody's being racist, they get a punch in the face. Yeah, they'll stop being racist. Yeah. I, 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 somebody calls you a chink, which you're not. <laughs> right. Yeah, um, and you're more like, like how do you're I, thinking about do it, I have to explain this yeah. first before I fight back? <laughs> like, I, I started this new joke saying, uh, when I started comedy, I told the audience I was Chinese because nobody knew what a Filipino was back then. <laughs> yeah. And they really knew what Philippi Philippines was, but they didn't really know enough. About it's like saying, uh, I'm from Cambodia, Thailand, Laos. Yeah. Like, mm, can we just round it off to Chinese? Like, I know, I know Thailand. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I had to kind of round it they off. They got restaurants. <laughs> exactly. Right. Um, we didn't have restaurants. What about flip? I've heard flip. Is that I've a, never, an offensive term? I've never found. We, our TV show. I had a Filipino TV show that I hosted in 1999 to 2004 called Flip. Okay. Yeah. And, <laughs> I had no idea. Yeah, and, and, and everybody was like, "Isn't that derogatory?" And I go, "Would it be if we chose it?" Yeah. You know, and and I think people wanted to just say this. That word "flip" doesn't even sound bad. No, you know, it sounds great. There's a there's like a clothing line, an skateboard clothing line called "flip." Like there's there's nothing. I never found it derogatory, and I don't. And if it is, it just turned that recently. Mm -hmm. But I mean, we called the television show "Flip," and nobody complained. Yeah, well, it's I, like uh, having a TV show called "Chink." That's wrong. Yeah, that's wrong. But the thing, like some words. Probably just started as a short form. Yeah, Filipino was probably they're like let's call him a flip. Like I think um, I don't use the term, but uh, when you call a Pakistani guy a Paki, yeah, it's a short form. I, I think it started as a short form, and somebody's Nigeria, like, and somebody's, somebody's like, don't fucking call me that. And yeah. like, okay. and, 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 and it's not even in the states; they don't even think that's a derogatory name because it's only the UK and here mm -hmm. that really took that word into something that was well, negative. We're, we're like, it's getting to the point where. Like you can't call a, you can't call a homeless person a bum anymore. Really? Yeah. Like people like hey, they're homeless. Give them a break. Like uh, the words don't matter. <laughs> I'm sure they're fine with it. Yeah. It's just like give me some money. You can come with a fucking money. I don't know, man. Like I, I I really don't. I'm not affected about uh, with even comics saying whatever they want to say. If they want to say that anywhere, they want to say change. I don't give a fuck. It's just like yeah, remember this is a freedom of speech. And if you're smart, if you're really racist, but and and you have some great material, I could ex I actually go hey, that's good for a <laughs> for the formula. But I don't like you as the person, buddy. But that I could still see <laughs> some kind of formula. It, it's a weird thing, it's buddy. Just that like, joke is gonna kill at Clanra. 
alleys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm sure there's clan comedy. <laughs> clan hey, comedy. There, I'm sure there is because there was there was like well, when I started, me and Roy Day used to go to New York City in '97, and the only shows we we play were in Bronx and Brooklyn. This guy that came out here to do the Nubian show, he did it. It was another black comedy show. Brought us there, and his name he was a pimp. Uh, but he was too funny to be a pimp and he couldn't sell pussy. So he became a comedian <laughs> and his name was cool Herm because his Herman is a bad name. So he fixed it. He just put, you just, I'm like, you just can't put the word cool in front of your shitty cool name. <laughs> and he brought us to all these, uh, this is 1997. He brought us to all these comedy shows in bars in the, in the ghetto. And there were one place was called boot knockers. And it was, this is where the pimps, hookers, drigglers hung out. They threw our asses up there and we got destroyed. Yeah. No, they wouldn't be a good. Audience. No, <laughs> no, it was so fucking this guy. I was trying to, I had no clue that my life was in danger. <laughs> so I'm making fun of this guy that was wearing a carry, a, a, a yellow canary outfit with a hat and I go, oh, you lost Curious George? And the whole audience went, oh. And some girl's like, no, man, that's the head pimp. I'm like, what? And he took off, he opened his jacket, and I saw a Glock. All right? And I, I know why it is, because he told me after it was a Glock. I didn't know what it was. And I ran in the kitchen, and I hid there. Jesus. And then Roy Day hid in the bathroom. <laughs> like he split up. <laughs> Fuck did. you, Roy. Here you go. Roy, was wearing, Roy, Roy was wearing a Canada sweater. And they were like, oh, this, this guy's done. Oh, fuck this boy up. Yeah, but we, we played every night, three times a night, and all the ghetto rooms in Brooklyn and Bronx. And honestly, by the end of it, we were, we were fucking doing well. Because it was just so much bombing yeah. that you were, we were so used to bombing and we had such low self-esteem that eventually we didn't care and we started doing well. <laughs> it's like, wow, we just broke ourselves down. And then, yeah, so I don't, I would never do ghetto places anymore. Sometimes I do by mistake, but they're, I guess they're good for toughening, but you don't need to do that shit anymore. How old are you in short comedy? 22. 22 after you're already a trained fighter? Yeah, yeah. What was the last fight you got in? Uh, four years ago, I'm in Australia, so I'm headlining the com the comedy store in Sydney. And on a th it starts on a th Wednesday to Sunday, and then so Tuesday there's an open mic, and everybody pay everybody pays ten dollars to get into this open mic. And they call them open mics, but it's paid shows that have a hundred people in there. I closed the first half, so I'm closing this show, and then the girl that's running the show, she's looking at me, she's like, "Get off, get off, get off, get off." I'm like, "It's not even been thirty minutes yet." I go, "Okay, well, guys, we're gonna take a fifteen minute break." Uh, you know what? And then, and then the MC's going to come back on and, you know, whatever. So I get off. I was like, I'm like, what the fuck happened? She's like, can you go outside? There's a problem. I go, what? This guy is on meth or something and he's causing, just can you go outside? So did I'm, she know you could fight? I, maybe. I think she did. Yeah. So I couldn't open the door and I pushed it and I see his feet. I was so lying in front of it. It's out cold. I was like, push it. It was one of the comics that went up before me. And he's out cold. I'm like, what? And then I see this guy that's like 6'3", muscular, tank top, crazy Aussie. And he's he's chasing comics and knocking them out. Just comics? Yeah, because they're in the front of the door. So what happened was he he was on meth and he was like, let me get in. It's like, it's $10. It's like, I don't have any money. And it's like, well, you can't come in. And we can't even, we don't want you to come in either because you're too high. And he started going... If you don't let me in right now, I'm going to start knocking you guys out. Jeez. So he that's didn't what he lie. Did. Yeah. So I go in. Everybody's, there's like four people on the ground and, and bleeding. And he's pounding on some guy. And then he, he's like, done. There's no, there's two other guys just ran away. And he looks at me. I'm like, 
holy fuck, this is going to be real right now. And so all the jujitsu comes back in my head. So right, so he's, he's just punched me. Like Jason Bourne, just remembering, eh? Sort of, <laughs> but he has a better shape than I am. This guy that was on the street tackles him. And then the guy is, is not big enough, so the, the guy that's on meth starts beating him up. So I tackle the guy while he's beating up the other guy, and I put him in this hold that has his arm behind his, in front of his neck, and I'm holding it from the other side, and I'm putting my knee on his stomach, and this is a training, uh, jiu-jitsu training uh, a lesson where this is what you do when you're trying to subdue a person that's on crack or meth or drunk. Yeah. And this is our first year doing uh, doing jiu-jitsu. And you hold the person, you and you pretty much ride him like a like a, <coughs> a like horse. A yeah. And the you do this for a year with different weight classes. So you by the time so you're it's like second nature once it oh once yeah. it, the trigger kicks in you're like oh yeah yeah it's back to the this, the schooling and then and he's like get off me nigger and I'm like wrong ways <laughs> <laughs> and he's bucking and he's strong but he you can't all, get you rolled out for eight seconds <laughs> I, it was five minutes five minutes and right. he's trying to punch me the crowd's outside having a cigarette watching this and they form a circle. My manager is like, Ron, don't punch him. I'm like, I'm not. He's like, if you punch him, you're going to go to jail. I go, could someone call the police? And they're like, we've called the police. The station was across the street. And there was two guys watching. <laughs> Some cop, like, what the fuck's yeah, going on? They finally come in. And then they're like, oh, what kind of move you have there? And I'm just like, it's to jiu-jitsu. And the guy's like, fuck her. I'm like, can you guys do something? <laughs> and they're like, all right, let him up. I'm like, he's going to start flailing, man. This guy's what? He's crazy. He's on some shit. He's like, oh, don't worry. They literally roll up. No, they take off their, uh, unbutton the, the shirts, roll up their sleeves, take out these billy clubs. <laughs> and I go, we can't wait. <laughs> and I jump off and, and they fucking just give it to him. Jesus. Like he's almost out cold. They, they don't stop. There's no, I don't know if you know they have guns. This is four years ago. Yeah. And they, they tie this guy up like a, like a, like a pig. And then they, are people just sitting there with their cell phones. No, I told people to take pictures because I wanted to make it my profile pic. <laughs> but they didn't. Did somebody tag me in this shit? <laughs> yeah. So that's the last physical altercation I've been in. Like, a, uh, a, like, I mean, before that, it's always been really quick. Like I, uh, when I when I fought that guy, uh, the, the the cry teacher, my French cry teacher, I was in Seneca College at the time. So the next day we we're doing this test, and this guy is next to me, and he's like, "Hey, did you fight Master Winton?" I'm like, "Yeah." The guy is from Gracie Jiu Jitsu. I'm like, "Oh yeah." And then during the exam, he kicks my head like his fucking master, and the teacher fucking shuts the door. Puts the blinds and she's like, oh, "Guys, I fight, I fight. Don't, don't no, everybody just fucking what? Uh, don't go out, don't leave." And she's watching this fight, so he's pounding me. This is like probably right when I start comedy, nineteen ninety seven, and and I'm holding him, and I finally reverse him, and I choke him, and he taps out, and I let him go, but I'm bleeding, mm-hmm. and he's like, "Oh, okay," and he's back, and I'm like messed up. And I'm like, this is this is a flaw in jujitsu. You can tap out and punch my face. Yeah, let me, let let me you make go. you bleed. Yeah, and, I, and, and I, if I, in retrospect, I would have definitely choke him out and like break it, break his tooth or something, or do something. You, know? you ever bust a guy's arm or leg or anything? Yeah, um, my oh. brother. Uh, what happens is when you uh, 
Well, you hyperextend someone's arm. I did to so Russell Peters. So put in a move? So Russell Peters. This is what, this is what we... You broke I, Russell's arm? I hyperextended his arm at the Bay Hospital. What happened was... I went to his house and I, I just met him like a couple of weeks. This was 1997 and we we're watching. He's talking about UFC and how boxers can knock out jujitsu guys. And I was thinking, no, I practice that. I go, no, it's not that easy. And his dad was there. And, and so we fought in, in his living room. And he was like, you try to grapple me and I'm going to knock like you out. 11 year old boys in their underwear. Yeah. <laughs> fight in the living room. Yeah. Gavin was there. <laughs> And he was really trying to punch me in the face. So I, I grabbed him, put him down on the ground, armbarred him. He didn't know what tap out meant. So when I kept pulling, he just kept screaming. And I'm like, this guy's not tapping out. And when you pull it, it feels like guitar strings popping. It's like, God, I so we, and he was like, I go, why don't you tap out? He's like, I don't know. What the fuck is tap out? <laughs> so we, we went to the doctor. Then he hyperextended his, uh, he pulled all the ligaments. So he, for like maybe a month, he had a wrap. Fuck. Yeah. But no, that was like... And nobody fucked with you after that. <laughs> no, people fuck with me all the time. <laughs> they, they don't give a shit. You know? I mean, I mean, I, even... Well, you don't come off as a guy who looks like he can fight. Well, um, no, if it's you look like you're in a lot better shape than... Uh, oh, these days. Years, years ago when I actually met you. Yeah. Um, and again, I love... I love the art of comedy the same way I would say the love of the art of fighting. It's not really the like making people happy, mm-hmm. even though it's the that's end what result. You do. And I really don't like hurting people, but it's hey, the tap out or the give up or you winning feels like a laugh. Yeah. So that's how I kind it's of did. a win is a win is a win. Sort of, yeah. If but, you're winning in a fight, if you're winning with good jokes, yeah. But I mean, there's so many tough comics too, so it's like. I know we we broke them all down one night, and uh, um, you're uh, you're on the top of uh, most guys' list as uh, people not to fuck with. Here's guys that are tough: Hempstead, Pew, Kate, uh, what's that other guy? That's he's uh, uh, he does a lot of cruises. Cruise comic. He's a uh, Jason Blanchard. Yeah, Berg. Berg. There's these like old school guys that used to fight, or like Roger Chandler, <laughs> like guys like. They, but I mean, most of them are good people, and they they really don't give a shit about that stuff. Yeah, it's yeah. You get too fucking old. Like I remember getting to the point where like my buddy's like, "Let's go fucking kick that guy's ass." I'm like, "Why?" Yeah, what the hell is that gonna do? Well, I was in Vancouver with uh, Nasiopolis and the whole his. Uh, I mean, you know, yeah, twenty five, twenty eight. You're just more testosterone lover. So we we're in Vancouver. We go to these clubs, and I hate dance clubs. But that's what they, they they know the club owners. And so we go in and I'm just like having a beer. And then all of a sudden I hear, rah, rah, fight, fight, fight. I'm like, what? It's fucking one in the morning. We're fighting now? And then there's these guys that are all like douchebaggy, having their shirts off. And then the guy Gordon, who takes his shirt off, he's getting ready. Like, let's fucking go, shirt off. Yeah, like, yeah. okay, pal. We, we all see you got tattoos. That's nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then these guys are ready to go. Tim's ready to go. Chris is ready to go. And I'm just like, dude, this is the worst. My fucking feet hurt. I'm so tired. Oh, I'm kind of drunk. And then nothing happened. I'm like, oh, cool. So we went, went to another club, and some guy was in the car. And we're, we're on the fucking street. We should, we're not supposed to be on the road. And he's like, beep, beep. The um fight almost happens again. I'm like, dude, this is, this is really tiring. And then the last time, right, like at three in the morning, there was a guy, we saw a guy slap a girl. Boom. Oh. She falls. And then Tim's like, 
guys, fuck, let's get this guy. And we're chasing. Now we're running. <laughs> we're actually jogging. Chasing a fight. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm going to be so tired if we ever fight. <laughs> and after I'm like trying to get out of it, I'm like, guys, what did she do though? <laughs> <laughs> Just say you don't want to fight. I don't you want to fight. the question sometimes. Yeah. So uh, equal rights these days, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's exactly what it was. I was just like, it was like the Warriors. Imagine they were running against the... Ba- Do you remember that Warriors scene? Remember the Warriors? Um, it was a very uh, a classic movie in the 1970s about the gangs in New York City. They oh, all come yeah, together. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, there were actually real gangs in the very beginning of the video. And uh, one, one scene is they're getting chased by the baseball viewers who dress up as... Guys in baseball gear and bats. <laughs> and one guy's like, I can't make it. Why? My stomach hurts. This just is good. I'm sick and tired of running through these whims. It, my version would be, what did they, what did they do <laughs> to us? What did we, there's no reason for Why this. Why are we here? Yeah. Oh, that's great. Um, yeah, we're pretty much, uh, that's about an hour, man. We, uh, we I could talk to you all night, but uh, I know you've got... Um, what the, I have some shows tonight. You've got 30 open mics probably to do I, tonight, eh? I, well, I, I send everybody messages, and whoever gets back to my grid, and then sometimes that overlaps, but I mean, in LA, it's so hard to go to, like, like, you get, I'll do a club a day, mm-hmm. like, whatever, comedy, what, I mean, uh, comedy magic club, mostly, factory or whatever, but then uh, I don't get to practice as much there because... It's harder to get on the mics. It's harder. I can get on clubs, but I can't get the open mics. It's the yeah, opposite. Because open weird. mics are the people that run the scene that know the people that are not really doing the clubs. Yeah. So you, they don't give a shit who you are. You just have to somehow be friends with these guys so you get on their stages. So I know I know more of them these days. Mm-hmm. But still, you, you, we're spoiled in how much open mics we have here and how good they are, too. Have you always had the hustle in you, like, since day one? Because, like, I, I, I've seen you do, like, 20 shows a week. Just Yeah, I normally do that. Going um, out and, like, and you're very... I've noticed you're very calculated when you get there. You know exactly what you're there to tell. Yeah, yeah. And I'm very calculated exactly what I'm going to use that space for. Yeah. Where, like, if you're a younger comic, you just go out there and try to just enjoy yourself or try to kill or whatever. But I have calculated moves that all end up, whether I take them, I put them on my act or my showcase set. It's mm-hmm. always working on the act or the yeah. hour and the showcase set. That's Or specialty shows that I'm doing for CBC or whatever, just for laughs. And then some days, like once every fucking 20 shows, I will just enjoy myself talking to the crowd. Like, just enjoy that. Didn't the last time I see you, weren't you going on a, a debaters against Tola? Yeah, yeah, how yeah. Did you, how'd you do? Oh, she kicked was, my ass. Yeah, it was the five-second rule. I told you. She yeah. had a piece of pizza out of a streetcar track. Yeah, and she told that story. <laughs> and they cheered her. They're like, yeah! And I've, I was like the loser in this. Like, already from the top, I said, how many people here believe in the five-second rule? Everyone cheered. 85%. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm not winning this. But she's also so funny, and they loved her dirty sh- dirtiness and yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. And they hated my I'm too prissy. Yeah. I yeah. know. I get it. I get yeah. it. But it was still fun. They still laughed at both of our jokes and we 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 didn't uh, there was a, a no holds barred area where you don't have any jokes and you just go off at each other. Mm-hmm. That's what they enjoyed the most, I think. That's good. Yeah. So yeah, man. That was your first debaters? Uh third. I do one every five years. So okay. the next one I'll it'll be two thousand and <laughs> and twenty. I should uh, I've never even listened. I should uh I don't really listen to it, man. I mean, there's. I guys don't even know the format of the show to like 
try to pitch an idea. Well, you know what? I know a couple of guys were like, hey, how do I get that show? I go, why don't you just send Richard's side an idea? And mm-hmm. it, honestly, all three people got on. Because you just say, this is what I would talk about. This is the person I'm debating. And whether they use that person or chase someone. Oh, you and Tola have sent together. Uh, they just called us directly and say, hey, can you guys do it together? And she okay. was like, we were like, oh, this would be awesome. Yeah, cool, man. Yeah. Cool. Um, where uh, where can people find you online? I wouldn't plug any upcoming shows because we're, uh, we're yeah. a couple weeks delayed on the uh, getting um, these uploaded. But um, at Ronj also one, not the actual word one, but the the number one sign. Ronj also uh, number one for Instagram. At Ronj also Twitter, Facebook. We don't even have a web page. No, twenty years. <laughs> I had You're three not selling I had merch. Three, I had three different one. ones, but you know what. Even when I had my last one, people went through Facebook to contact me. It's more Facebook has turned to more businessy. It's um compared to fun. It's a good tool for a lot of things. I find it a great tool for like for if marketing you, your show. You use that a lot. I use it for marketing a lot. I find it great for uh for group conversations as opposed yeah, to a yeah. group email because yeah. it's all live and like right. somebody could respond to an email that was like three three emails ago in the reply, but. I think that forum where you can yeah. everyone sees what's coming in. So it it's got a lot of good uses. Um but it yeah. is it is destroying our life and perception of life. It is. And you know what? Like now these comic clubs in states, maybe here too, they use these kids that are they work for YouTube and work for actually Instagram. Yeah, how many views do you got? Well if you get this many views we'll uh, we'll book you for a weekend. Like you yeah. got a lot of followers, you can tweet this out. It's Well I met this one guy who who works for YouTube, who says, if you have like 60,000 hits, I can make it a million and a half. And he gets paid to bump up people's, I guess, views. And so he works for, he used to work for Gabriel Iglesias. Then he used to work for Angela Johnson. Now he works for Joe Coy. And Joe Coy says, These, this guy could just multiply your hits and, and sells out the club. I'm like, Fuck, man, that's such a that's a different job. That's yeah, not even a, yeah. Like you're it's, paying a dude a full time salary to. He's your hype man. Yeah, but he says without that, I'd be fucked. Yeah, but who can like, especially a comic coming up? It's hard. You can't afford that shit. No, you can't afford it. You get like a publicist and all this shit. Like, and if you're an up and coming comic, you probably wouldn't want to do that because your shit's not gonna be good. Mm-hmm. You know, like oh, I see like videos I put on four years ago. And I'm just like, oh, oh yeah. I'm like, do I take it off? But I, they're on my page, and you can see there's more videos. Like you can actually watch my progression of and comedy. And people that happen. are watch it don't know the fucking science or fucking format of comedy, so they can still enjoy it. Yeah, and, and they, they, they don't. They like, don't know I'm. I'm like better, I don't talk that way anymore. You right, know? Like, and you're more maybe your your jokes have have definitely grown and they're yeah, more and intricate and like it's yeah. They just don't know. You could be funny in every shit level to the highest. Mm-hmm. They, what the fuck do they know? Yeah. It's like uh, when you get on these uh, weekends with like just a garbage headliner who's just mm-hmm. he's just been sucking the right dick for however many years that he hasn't been put out to pasture yet. That's true. And he he'll go out there, mail it in, and people are like, this is great. I'm like, no, it's not fucking great, you yeah. idiots. <laughs> yeah, it's not great. They don't know. They don't know. I mean, you know, certain clubs have uh, an audience that are very uh, comedy savvy. Like San Francisco punchline, wow. Unbelievable. Bananas, Cincinnati, 
Uh, obviously, in New York, you know, Eastville, I find that the, the locals, they already clap at your fucking yeah. setup because they're like, wow, I've never heard that setup before. Your premise gets an applause sometimes. And that's somebody, that's an audience that understands. I find uh, my audience on Wednesdays are, they're, they're high because it's a pot room. But they know comedy They know now. comedy and they won't let you get away with shit. They've been there for a couple of years now, man, and they they yeah. they, they react properly. Mm-hmm. It's a good gauge, mm-hmm. you know. Some places aren't a good gauge, but it's harder for you too because they know you, and you have to come up with new shit all the time. Well, that's all I do. New, new, like I, I riff. Yeah. So for, how do you hone? You have to do the other places. Yeah, like what I'll do is um, I'll take a, like I, I have a I have an ongoing note in my phone mm-hmm. that I just any any topic I want to talk about, and I'll just type it in there, and then I'll go try it on my stage. Right. And then if it gets a good reaction, mm-hmm. then I I start writing it as its own joke and I write oh, that's the great. And then like I'll slip it in like between acts a few weeks later and stuff, but I won't come back the next week and do it do right Do you off. ever go up with nothing in your head and you yeah, just... Yeah, and I... I, I it's fi- so hard to do that shit. I find it uh, like... I'll just start going at the audience and like, I'll just attack an audience member. And I'm just yeah. like, I should come up here with jokes and leave these f- people alone. You know who's good at that? Dave, Dave Merhej doesn't really talk to the audience as much. He does, but not like he just riffs on his own voice. Yeah, his, his train of thought, like it goes right from his head into the microphone Unbelievable. and it's just boom, 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 boom. And it's just, he doesn't know where he's going. The audience doesn't know where he's going. And it's, it's a so lot fun, of fun to, to watch. watch. Yeah. It's, it's so funny. Cause you're like, this guy is just literally jumping out. Mm-hmm. I remember bringing him uh, a couple places that I was, I was headlining at in the States and, uh, or like it's just in California. And his first five minutes is what he saw in this club, not in the club, just outside. Yeah. Fucking 10 minutes yeah, on it. He's a great riffer. Yeah. And it's I've, I've had times like, uh, I remember Badalini one time, she said, we're doing some mic somewhere. Uh, it was like uh, vape on the lake. You ever? Yeah, 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 yeah. And she was like, don't tell these people a joke tonight. And I was like, what? And this like, I was still pretty new. Yeah. She's like, just go out there and be you. She's like, don't do any material. And I went up and I just riffed. Mm-hmm. And I was like, it went great. And then after yeah. she was like, see, you got that skill. And I was like, oh, okay, good yeah, to know. Yeah, yeah it's true. And, and definitely when I play the vape, vape on the lake... I have to do a little bit more crowd work or at least a little f- not in my act, but then I have to f- make the act seem so fucking organic mm-hmm. more than any place. But it's also a good way to make your material convert- conversational. Yeah. It used to be good- a fun room when there was one or two shows a week, but yeah, then it yeah. got oversaturated. And I think the novelty of these weed rooms is really done. Like, cause it's so welcome yeah. everywhere else. You don't like, yeah. if you can buy your weed on the street, you don't want to go pay somebody five bucks to smoke right. it in there. Yeah. That's what the thing about the underground is that it's, it's a comedy club that you can smoke weed in. It's not, mm-hmm. it's not a place you, you're going to smoke weed. It's, right. it's the show comes first and you, know, you can smoke a joint and enjoy the show. I find that audience, uh, loves good comedy mm-hmm. and they really don't like bad comedy <laughs> like they i've seen them shut down like oof, oof. somebody somebody's being fake on stage and they they go Ugh. Uh, they can feel it yeah but so you uh yeah i love that you uh like your hustle is um it's something to be admired and i have no clue i didn't know it was <laughs> no it's I thought uh, everybody does this no no man you um you're the Cause i see these guys going out three times a night yeah um but they're um, they're they're trying to achieve what you've already achieved. Oh, the okay. fact that you're already touring the world as a headliner and still 
going to three different open mics tonight. Like it's, right. it's a testament to like how dedicated you are to your craft and right. it shows on stage. Cause you're, you're one of the best comics Canada's oh, thanks, man. for sure. But I think it's also fun. Yeah. Like, I mean, there has to, I love going to the different rooms. I, again, you, you know, I, I yeah, don't like get it, to come here. It is know. our job and it's, yeah. you know, like might as well make it a fun Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and even if it's shit, you're like, whoa, <laughs> fucking that is emotional. I feel emotional right now. Yeah. That, 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 it makes me get better in some level. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, hey, man, I see you do what you're working hard too. Everybody's working hard. You got to do. Yeah. You can't. No, nothing's going to be no laziness. You could get away being lazy in the 80s, dude. Yeah, nowadays it's there's there's no way. Oh, you can. don't want to put in the effort. We've got thirty guys right here that want to put in that effort. Yeah, and it's like, gotten so much harder. Mm-hmm. You know, and people are like the CK guys started going going on as much as the open micers too, and then they're becoming brilliant and they're becoming yeah. they're coming in the hour year, which I'll never do. But I mean, I think I think in the eighties you just had to be you had to get the guts forty five minute act. And have the guts to go up. Or 30 minutes and then fake the rest, you know? Yeah, yeah. And then you could ride that fucking act forever. We know people that have stopped comedy because they never changed their act. Well, we know people that haven't stopped comedy and they've yeah. never changed their yeah, act. Yeah. That's that's a weird part. <laughs> I'm like, how the fuck does this guy still, or, you know, this person's still there? It's, it's a weird thing. And then these people that run the comedy clubs book them because they've been friends for so long. Yeah. And they book them out of loyalty, but... Where's the loyalty of this guy not writing a new joke to right, say right. in your club for the last 20 years? Yeah, yeah. So. It's so weird. It's funny how Steve Schuster died. And uh, I remember when I first, uh 97, I remember seeing him live in Yuck Yucks and going, this guy's awful. But he was <laughs> killing half the room. And I didn't understand why he was killing. Because I thought he was a terrible comic. And then later I understood about satire and and like wait steve schuster was this was a mock shitty comedian he <laughs> pretended he was this hack shitty comic <laughs> and in my head i thought he was i was just reading it from his fucking like straight up comedy oh, really great. he was just pretending he was shit yeah because he's like uh i have a lot of requests for doing uh from doing new material especially from club owners so here it goes. So uh, I was watching Bonanza, <laughs> and I used to go, and that was the. I went, okay, he's not an idiot. Uh-huh. He actually was pretending to be this shit hack comic. Who are your idols uh, going into this? Oh, it's Steve Martin going up. Uh, Robin Williams and Steve Martin were the first comics I actually saw growing up, so I love them. Carlin was too ahead of my head at that time, and then eventually Eddie Murphy in the eighties. Everybody wanted to be Eddie. And then um, after Eddie, I really didn't watch comedy too much. I liked Sinbad for a bit. <laughs> and then I loved when uh, when Chris Rock came with Being the Pain in 1996. That's still my favorite hour of comedy. fucking believable it, it holds up, too. Yeah, yeah. I remember going, I'm not even laughing at some of this stuff, but it's breaking. It's blowing my mind mm-hmm. right now. And then after that, uh, I've been a Chris Rock's fan ever since. And then obviously, you know, Chappelle came after and you got fucking Pachise O'Neill and, but the, that guy was the first, you know? So yeah. even though those guys were, I love those guys. Uh, he was my, yeah. he was my new version of Eddie Murphy almost. Yeah. And then um, obviously Mitch Hedberg was one guy that I, I remember watching him live and I was like, wow, this guy is so fucking brainy, but high. Like, it was just amazing watching this guy hold that audience with one-liners because I remember it was so hard for me to 
be I had no attention span. You know, there's too many comics yeah, to like somebody right now. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, obviously Louis is great and Bill Burr is Netflix great. Spin the Netflix wheel, you're going to find something great out there. Yeah, it's just, you know, if you find your fucking following, then that's what's important because everybody's going to love comics and change the what they like eventually because, you know, I mean, I was never into, uh, did you, uh, I was never into like um, Carlin when I was a kid, but when he, like, before the last I remember when I was a kid watching years. him on like... Uh, all I knew of him was Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. He was Rufus. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah. And I had no idea. That, it was a comic. Yeah, and then when I grew up and started, like, caught in comedy, and then going back, I'm like, holy shit, this guy yeah. was the comic. He was. And you know what? It's like, it may not even be funny now, but looking at what he's done with the art form, because there's entertainers and then there's comics that are used as art form. Mm-hmm. It's like, wow, that guy really went went far with comedy as a stand-up art rather than try to be the entertainer on that stage. Mm -hmm. So that's what I really like later. Mm -hmm. I I, I couldn't get him or Dennis Miller until my like fifth, sixth, seventh year until I was educated with comedy. Yeah, no, it's then I got that. I'm like, Oh, I get Steve Schuster. I get this. I get that before I was just like, why isn't he telling jokes? Yeah. That just sounds like I just want him to be funny. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah, I think we're going to wrap this up. This has been, uh, we've been at it well over an hour, and this has been a great conversation, Ron. Oh, man, it'd be fun, man. Buddy, I want to thank you for coming by. It's, uh, it's been a great talk. Guys, check out Ron Jossel. Find him online. Everyone's got Google. Um, you want to find me, come down to uh, the Underground every Wednesday night for Dope in My Comedy. And uh, I'm at Jeff Paul Comedy on all the uh, socials, guys. Uh, that's uh, another episode of The Potato Files. My friend Nigel Williams is going to take us away with some hot music from the pocket dwellers. I love this occasion in front of that. <laughs> yeah, like, see ya. Almost like we're doing MMA. <laughs> <laughs> bye bye. Never Sleeps Network. This has been a Never Sleeps Network production, executive produced by Alex Ross. For more information and content, visit NeverSleepsNetwork.com. Never